hand a piece of Velcro. When I went to the pew and the seat that I normally sit in on Sunday morning, this was placed where I would normally sit. Now, I got to tell you, I am a person who likes to see the humor in things. I could have been offended by that. You know, but the Bible does say a merry heart does good like medicine. Whoever put this here, I thank God that you think I'm small enough and thin enough that this would not hinder me. Or that it would hinder me. Good to see Gary and Cindy Brown with us today. They served the church well here for a number of years, and it is a joy to have them with us today. Get this statement because it's really important, and everything we study this morning will revolve around this statement. Everything the church is, thinks, and does everything the church is, thinks, and does ought to be to praise and glorify Jesus Christ. Everything the church of Christ is, and thinks, and does ought to be to praise and glorify Jesus Christ. After all, according to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, We're bought and paid for. After all, according to this passage, we have been purchased with the blood of Jesus. Again, open your Bibles to Colossians 3.17. Colossians 3.17. It says, whatever you do, in word or deed... Do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to the Father through Jesus Christ. That passage is well worth making it into a motto that we seek to live by as the people of God, as individual Christians. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, respecting and loving who Jesus is and what He's done. Considering that in all of our words and our thoughts and our actions. I want you to know this. Everything the church of Christ is thinks and does, ought to be to praise and glorify Jesus, most of all, the actions of the leadership and the members. You see, a church will not rise above its leaders. Therefore, they need to constantly keep in mind who Jesus is, and who we are, and what He would have us to do. Elders, elders must ever shepherd understanding 
that they follow the good shepherd. Have you ever noticed that all of the terminology used of the church's leaders is also used of Jesus? Elders are shepherds. They are wise men who help get us home. And Jesus is the ultimate wise shepherd who gets people home. There is something incredibly beautiful and phenomenally humbling to be a shepherd of God's people. Because no earthly elder can measure up to the good shepherd. Deacons. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 27, Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. He said in Matthew 23 and verse 12, He that exalts himself will be humbled, and he that humbles himself will be exalted. The idea of humble service. The idea of humble service is seen in no one better than Jesus, the supreme servant. I love deacons. I am thankful for the six deacons we presently have. They are really good men. And they serve the Lord. I thank God for them and their families. Deacons are to be men who kick up the dust by hastening to serve. They kick up dust by hastening, being quick to serve, ready to serve. They go about doing good. Acts 10, 38. How like the master servant Jesus. Preachers. The subject of our preaching ought to be Jesus. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as servants for His sake. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. But not only do we have Jesus as our subject when we preach and teach, He is our content. He's our content. When we say preach the Word, 2 Timothy 4, 2, we need to preach the Word, John 1, 1 through 18. The Word is God. I'm okay. I'll be right back in just a little second. Thanks, Ellie. She's trying to shush me. May have been her to put the Velcro down for all I know. But anyway. There's something incredibly humbling about that and very, very beautiful. That preachers are able to proclaim Jesus as our subject. And Jesus as our content. Talk about the whole counsel of God. Acts 20 verse 27. Next. Members. Members. Members need to show to whom we belong. By what we say, how we think, and how we act. Members in this old world... Christians are intended to be the hands of Jesus and the feet of Jesus. 
as we think with the heart and mind of Jesus. There's something incredibly beautiful about that. And there's something unbelievably humbling about that. In last Sunday morning's lesson, we looked at deacons. The role of deacon. And we also considered the qualifications of deacons. Especially from 1 Timothy chapter 3, 8 through 13. But we also examined Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In this morning's sermon, I would like for us to consider two more very important concepts regarding deacons. Their responsibilities, number one. Their relationships, number two. The responsibilities of deacons, the relationships of deacons. Now our shepherds have recently asked us to look among ourselves as a congregation and to consider the biblical qualifications prayerfully and to ask different men of the congregation who we believe are qualified would they be willing to serve along with the six men presently serving as deacons? You have until January the 1st to submit those names after speaking with those men to our shepherds. But what I would like for you to consider with me is this, before we really dive into the lesson more. When shepherds graciously state before the congregation that they are tired and need some help. The church should prayerfully help. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. The church should prayerfully help. And one of the best ways we can answer That request is to provide a number of biblically qualified men who want to serve in special capacities here at Westside under the oversight of our elders. Yeah, it can be difficult to be an elder. It can be very taxing spiritually, emotionally, and physically especially when one thinks about the last two or three years. Amen? Therefore, it is extra important and extra practical for the life and growth of the church that we take this selection process seriously. And men, listen to me, men whose names may be considered for this view, this position... Sincerely and honestly and humbly consider it with only the best interest of the church and service to Christ being your motivation. Having said those things, let's proceed. A deacon and his responsibilities. Open your Bibles, if you would, for a moment to Acts 6 one more time. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. 
It was mentioned last week, but I'll state it again. Nowhere in Acts 6 are the seven appointed to wait on tables specifically called deacons. However, it is not wrong to say that the work that they were doing involved deacon-type work. After all, you have in Acts 6 verse 1, Acts 6 and verse 2, the idea of ministry. That's service. And waiting tables, that's service. But even in Acts 6, it is interesting that the seven had to meet biblical qualifications that were set forth by the apostles. And certainly that harmonizes quite well with the biblical qualifications that are given by apostolic teaching in 1 Timothy 3. But let me share with you some general responsibilities of deacons from Acts 6. Number one. Deacons serve in areas of specific need. That's right there in Acts 6, 1 through 7. One of the greatest churches ever, the Jerusalem church, under the teaching and preaching of the apostles, blessed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in a miraculous way, growing by leaps and bounds where it can be 20,000 people easy in Acts 6, just in Jerusalem here. Deacons serve in areas of need. Even great churches can have areas of need. Number two. In dealing with the responsibilities of those who would serve as deacons, they must first meet biblical qualifications. And concerning deacons, it says in 1 Timothy 3, that they must first be proved that they have shown for some time a servant's heart before they are given a servant's position, that of deaconing. Number three, the responsibilities of deacons. They need to be able to work well with others. You have a number of widows in Acts 6 who are evidently being overlooked. You need people who can deal with this and handle it properly or it can become a troublesome spot in the life and ministry of the church. They need to be able to work well with others. Fourth... One of the responsibilities of deacon that can obviously be concluded from Acts 6 as well as 1 Timothy chapter 3, 8 through 13 is this. They are able to motivate and involve others. If the church had numbered into 20,000 or so people by Acts 6, and a number of widows are being overlooked, it can be too big a job for even seven men. And it only makes sense to think that those seven men would involve and encourage others to be involved in caring for these ladies. Don't you think? 
Looking at responsibilities, number next, number five, I believe it is. Those who serve as deacons ought to be good stewards of the Lord's resources. They ought to be good stewards of the Lord's resources. In the qualifications, not greedy for sordid gain, we examined last Sunday from 1 Timothy 3. Well, they also, on the positive end, are good resources of the Lord, good good stewards of the Lord's resources. Another item or two. They are thoughtful and have the ability to organize. Those who would serve as deacons need to be thoughtful and have an ability to organize. That's number six. And then number seven. Listen to this one. Deacons ought to be men who solve problems and bless the church. Did the seven appointed in Acts 6 solve problems and bless the church to the glory of God? Look at Acts 6, 7. The response is overwhelming and it's to such a degree that even a great company of the priests are obedient to the faith. Now, practically speaking, dealing with the responsibilities of deacons, let me give you six or seven areas where most churches have deacons working in particular areas of need. I'll give you seven, but more could be given or less. How about with the areas of widows, senior saints, and the shut-in? Does that sound kind of like Acts 6 to you? So one would be on pretty solid ground to maybe appoint men to serve in this special area of ministry to make sure that it is cared for, an area of need. Next, how about building and grounds? How about building and grounds? It's an ongoing need. Many churches have deacons who serve in the special area of building and grounds. And the impression that the church can make concerning its facilities on a community or guest. Third, how about the area of youth? A special need in many congregations How do we bring, help parents bring up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Well, yes, the church has a responsibility in that area. And so many churches want to encourage special men to serve, deacons to serve in this capacity in helping with our young people. It's simply one of those areas. Number four. Many churches utilize deacons to serve in this special ministry, the ministry 
of benevolence. The ministry of benevolence. For many years during my time here, Jim Powell worked in the area of benevolence, just as an example. And Jim had a good heart and a gruffness around him too that made him really good at that job. Because he wasn't going to be uh, bamboozled, have the wool pulled over his eyes. And yet at the same time, he wanted to help people. See the difference that good deacons can make in a ministry. Benevolence. And it requires a good skill set to deal with people who are in need, doesn't it? And to really do something that praises and glorifies the Lord. How many have I given so far? How many areas, special areas of service? Four. Let me keep going. Many deacons in churches serve in areas like men to serve. In other words, they help put together the groups of men who lead in public prayer, who lead singing. They work with people and involve others in areas like this. The Lord's Supper meditations, all kinds of things. The men to serve. It's not unusual, and this is number six, for deacons to be involved in education in some way. The Bible class area. What we are talking about here then are a pretty wide variety of needs and often ministries that are going to be ongoing. Therefore, individuals to serve, especially in these ongoing areas of ministry, to make sure that we're heading in a good direction under the oversight of our elders. Basically, deacons can serve under any area or particular ministry that they are asked, though they may be involved, asked by our elders, but they may be involved in other areas. Now, our elders, when asking for additional deacons, I immediately ask them, Kind of helps when you're preaching to know these kinds of things. What are the areas, the specific areas of service that you're talking about? There being a need. And the two areas, and there may be more. The two areas mentioned to me by Terry and Lynn were the areas of missions. Steve Mills recently resigned. Has been on the road a lot with his family. Will eventually move if he's not in the process of that now. He worked in missions as a deacon for a number of years. The elders would like to have deacons working in the area of missions. Evaluating and encouraging current works and maybe investigating and encouraging the support of new works. Here's a second area our elders mentioned. Local outreach. Local outreach. Deacons who have a heart for souls and for evangelism 
and for thinking of biblical, God-honoring ways to reach people. So there's eight different areas that are common to many churches as far as areas of responsibility. That brings me to the second area. Having dealt with deacons' responsibilities, let's invest some time dealing with deacons and their relationships. Deacons and their relationships. First of all, a deacon and his relationship with God. If you do not have a relationship with God, if you are not desirous of having a greater relationship with God, do not agree to serve as a deacon here. You'll only hurt the church. Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 11 through 17, here is the kind of relationship with God not to have. And by seeing the kind of relationship with God one ought not have, we can see what we ought to be looking for in men who would serve as deacons. 1 Samuel 2, 11 through 17. Concerning the sons of Eli, it is said, first of all, that they were worthless men. You see that? They were worthless. Number two, it is said of the sons of Eli. Now he is a man who is one of the leaders, the priests of God's people. His sons are by birthright priests, but they are worthless. They didn't need worthless servants then and we don't need worthless servants now. It says, secondly, listen to this, they did not know the Lord. The sons of Eli did not know the Lord. How can one serve like Jesus who does not know Jesus? How can, and listen to this, the third area that's brought up. They were self-serving and forceful. The sons of Eli, they were looking for ways to fill their belly and fill their pockets, so much so that they would use God's people. They were self-serving and forceful. They used their position in a self-serving, forceful way. A manipulative way to get their desires. That is underhanded to the core. And it is unbecoming not only of a priest in the Old Testament, but of elders and deacons and preachers in the New The text goes on to say, They greatly displeased the Lord. 
their actions greatly displeased the Lord because they treated the sacrifice to the Lord with contempt. They twisted and perverted a role and task that was intended to be holy. So, that tells us a little bit about something concerning deacons in the new. They need to be useful, willing to serve, hearts to serve. They need to know the Lord. They should be God-serving, people-caring individuals who are not self-serving and manipulative. They should be people who desire to please the Lord more than anything. And they treat the service of God with dignity and holiness and humility. Get it? Got it good? That's the kind of individuals, the kind of men we're looking for in the relationship with God. Secondly, a deacon and his relationship with his wife and family. It is always a struggle for anyone as a Christian to balance their work life and their family life and the service of the church. But godly deacons try to do that. Here are four words I want deacons, present deacons, and those whose names will be submitted to our elders to think about. Four words. Number one, hear. Hear your wife and family. I would suggest if a deacon does not listen to his wife or family, does not hear them, it may be well because he is not listening to his God or to the elders. And I would say this, if a guy has a constantly hard time listening, hearing his wife, listening with compassion and concern, listening to his family, he may well not be able to listen to God or to the, to the elders of the church under whom he serves. Isn't that the truth? Let's be practical here. We want deacons to have great families because it's a whole lot easier to encourage that now than to try to clean up the mess as a congregation when they go through a bust up. So encourage a great family life, deacons. And the church should help encourage a great family life with its members. Next, the second word. The first one was here. The second word is treasure your wife and family. Treasure your wife and family. Again, if a man can't treasure his bride and his family, we wonder if he can treasure the the Lord and his church's bride and his family. Show me a man who loves his wife and family. And isn't that really part of the qualifications, the husband of one wife and one who manages his household well? Third, 
Protect your wife and family. Deacon, possible deacon, protect your, your wife and family. Protect the relationship. The devil is going to try to get his foot in the door of your life. Protect. I'd rather die than be unfaithful to my wife. I'd rather die than to see my children apostatize. I'd rather die than know that my grandkids grew up and didn't know Jesus. Because you treasure these people. And you want to protect them. And you want what's best for their soul. Fourth. Communicate with your wife and family. Communicate with your wife and family, deacon. Do you communicate well? Preaching all these years, and I preached my first sermon two weeks after I was baptized, and I was 13 years old. All these years, I have felt that it's a whole lot easier to communicate the message of God because it's right there for me than to communicate with my wife and family and communicate well. Are you a good communicator? By your thoughts and words and actions. That brings me to yet another area. We've looked at a deacon and his relationship with God, a deacon and his relationship with his wife and family, a deacon and his relationship to the elders. Very important. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17, notice verses 12 through 14. Exodus 17... 12 through 14. The people of God are facing the Amalekites. It is a somewhat familiar story and a very familiar foe. If you know anything at all about the Old Testament, the Amalekites were a thorn in the side of God's people for some time. And Joshua and the men of Israel are putting a whooping on the Amalekites. But it is certainly a group effort. Because Moses is standing with his arms up in the air. And as long as the prophet of God, the leader of God's people is looking and his hands are up and the glory is being given to God, they are winning the battle. But when he gets tired and his arms start to get weary, the course of the battle changes. Now listen, this speaks volumes about what deacons do, but they're not the only ones. Aaron and her come to the the arms of Moses when he's tired and he can't hold them up any longer. And you know what they do? 
They get a stone for him to sit on and they prop up his arms so that they can gain the victory that God is making possible. And what they realize is that God chooses to use everybody in making the victory possible when he could have just said, boom, and there's no more Amalekites. Kyle, God uses you to hold up the elders' arms. Chris, He uses you to hold up the elders' arms to help them have maybe a little bit of a a respite, a, a break when they feel the strain. How we need guys who serve as deacons who will hold up the hands of elders and provide some rest and comfort and encouragement. Got it? Now open your Bibles to Matthew 5.41. You not only have the Exodus 17.12-14 principle, you've got the Matthew 5.41 principle. If someone compels you to go with them one mile, go two. When elders realize they have the kind of men they do, Aaron and her types, who hold up their arms and who give them some stability when they're tired and help, and who encourage them, they will also see you to be men who are willing to go the second mile. Imagine, imagine this. Let me put Exodus 17 together with Matthew 5.41. Imagine Moses saying, what are you guys trying to do by holding up my hands, my arms? I'll do it myself. I can handle it. Moses was painfully aware that he couldn't. But he wanted God's people to be victorious. And he was willing to accept the help of good men. Elders, I say this graciously and kindly to you. Be like Moses. And graciously accept the help of good men who serve as deacons. They'll be willing to go the second mile for you. Third, open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Through 13. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through 13. Ryder, you got it? I see you back there. Would you stand up and read it nice and loud for everybody? 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through 13. Thanks, brother.
Respect, honor, they're over you in the Lord. Esteem them highly for their work's sake. Think that that should have a great application in anyone who's a deacon in the church? You may not understand or agree with every decision that the shepherds make. But you love the Lord and His church. And you do not want to hurt it. Sometimes one doesn't understand every decision that elders make. Sometimes the elders tell me that we're going to do something. They don't give me any rationale for it. But guess what? I don't have to have one always. And guess what? They're the ones that give an account for the decisions that they make. I've got my plate full as it is, don't you? Just giving an account for my life and my family, my preaching. So be honorable even when you may not understand or disagree. And it may help the relationship to develop and improve even more. Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17. <clears throat> I've worked under 68 different men who served as my elders over the years. 68. And I wish that they felt that every deacon practiced Hebrews 13, 17. It says, obey it says to submit to your leaders. And the passage is general. It means the members as a whole, but I'm applying it specifically to deacons given our theme today. And then it goes on to say that they will give an account. It says that they may give an account for our soul with joy. I wonder if there's some deacons that have ever served as deacons that it's going to be hard for the elders to give an account for them with joy. Brother Payne, Brother Cynical, Brother I've Got a Problem, Brother Self-Serving. What the passage goes on to say is that would be hard for them and it would be of no advantage to you. Deacons want to have a good relationship with the elders because on the day of judgment we want our shepherds to be able to gladly give an account for us being part of the flock they oversaw. Deacon-deacon relationships. This is almost never discussed, and I'll only just briefly mention it. Some deacons simply cannot play well with others. And if you don't think that you can work well with other people, either change your thinking and desire this because as deacons, you're going to have to work with other people and other deacons. Some of one's fellow deacons may not say or do things exactly the same way we might say or do things. But we're on the same 
team. We're part of the body of Christ. And glorifying and honoring and praising His name is the ultimate desire. Finally, deacons in the relationships with the members do unto others as you would have others do to you. Matthew seven twelve. Treat other people the way that you would like to be treated. I can't help but go back to Acts chapter 6. And two of the names, two of the seven who were appointed to initially wait on tables did so much more than that. They did that well, but they did so much more. And probably the others did too, but we don't know. The scripture doesn't reveal that. But Stephen and Philip did more even than just waiting on this special need, this special area, and doing a great job. In Acts chapter 6 and 7, you read of Stephen's martyrdom, his death for the cause of Christ. He is one of the first people I want to talk to after the Lord when I get home. Because he did more in his living and dying for Jesus than many of us ever do. And wouldn't do if he lived to be as old as Methuselah. And then I think of Philip in Acts 8. I think of him and the Samaritans. I think of him and the Ethiopian. And you keep reading. Philip the evangelist had daughters. And in Acts 21, Philip the evangelist makes a prophecy concerning Paul. Remember Paul was the one who was kind of instrumental in the death of Stephen. Acts 7, Acts 8, beginning... And he talks about Paul and how he would be bound and would go to Jerusalem. And he spoke something of the way that Paul would ultimately honor his Lord in death. And here's what I'm getting at. Philip is able to do that with tears. to a man who had helped kill one of his fellow servants a few years back. A person that he undoubtedly got to be close to as they waited on tables. A person I don't think it would be wrong to say that he talked with as both of them kind of expanded their roles and they did ministry in public and preaching and teaching. It is this man that... Philip is willing to cry with and for because he could only be amazed at how things had turned out at how great God is. And I suspect were I in Philip's shoes, I would not know exactly how things were going to turn out for Paul or for Philip. 
But Philip believed with all of his heart that as long as we seek the glory of God and to praise his name, God's going to take care of things. God's going to take care of things. And you can do what you will with these lessons, but I think I've been here long enough and know many of you long enough and well enough. You will take the things that have been said over the last two Sunday mornings seriously and prayerfully. I ask you to pray for the church and to pray for the leadership and to consider the qualifications for deacons biblically and to talk to men who will seriously consider, prayerfully consider serving in this area to praise and glorify God, to lift up the hands of our shepherds and to bless the cause as problem solvers. Thank you. We're about to sing our song of encouragement. One comes to Jesus by having a humbled heart. In faith, in repentance of sin, in acknowledging with one's mouth, notice that the mind and heart are revealed in faith. Notice that the heart is involved in repentance. I don't want to go that way anymore. The mind too. Notice the heart and the mind are involved in confession. I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Son of God. And the heart and mind, yes, everything is involved in baptism because out of the waters of baptism, one has sin washed away by the blood of Jesus. Become part of the church of Jesus. Praise Him and humbly serve Him. Love Him. Let us stand and sing.